I like starting in that traditional way of putting the attention, the, the reverence to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. And I also like to base the teachings and uh, the words of the Buddha, looking at suttas. And for this morning, um, we got a suggestion for a topic, and it's, it's found in the Mangala Sutta, which is a very, very um, popular sutta, <laughs> one that's chanted um, all over the Theravada world um, very, very, very often, and many of you may know it. And um, in, in the um, sort of Thai forest tradition that we follow, Ajahn Chah lineage, we have it in the chanting book. So uh, we're gonna, it's gonna appear online here. But the part we're gonna focus on is the very last sort of blessing. So this, the Mangala means blessing. We said the, the Mangala Sutta is the, the discourse or the teaching on the highest blessings. And the very last one that gets mentioned is every, for, and every place for them is safe. Of course, before that, it talks about them. But it's actually, you know, um, well, so we're going to put some attention on that. And what does that mean, that every place for them is safe? And how does that happen? And one of the things that I find really intriguing and inspiring about this teaching, even though it's called the highest blessings, and I think maybe a little more in Western culture, I'm not sure, but I know in my conditioning, a blessing is feels like something that comes from outside, comes from a a higher power or maybe someone with some kind of power or authority. And when you look at what's in this teaching, it's not that at all. It's choices we make. And it's one of the, the distinctions of the Buddha's teaching and, and of, of the Dhamma is that it really comes down to our own choice, our responsibilities. Uh, it's, it's up to us. And of course, we are all working with a set of conditions in this moment. But there's, and, and, some, and so much of everything is out of our control almost. The only thing that's really in our control are our own actions and speech and thought. The, the thought, the part of thought that we, not the stuff that just pops into the head, but the stuff that we put attention on and energy into. That's what we have control over. And yet when we start to understand how things work and we see that karma gets made because of those choices, that volitional action by body, speech, and mind. And so it's it's like, the conditions we experience 
are not all coming from what we did in the past, but so many of the choices we've made in the past have shaped to some degree where we are now. Do you believe that? I want to show of hands. <laughs> and if you don't, that's okay. I want to talk about it though. <laughs> because uh, there's a lot to discover in that whole area of, you know, like how much, how much of what we are actually doing is the result of, you know, habit energy and what has happened to us in the past. And, you know, there's a lot to, to examine there. But taking for the moment um, the premise that we can choose, like you chose to come here today, you had to make the effort. Even showing up online takes effort. I like to commute better, but it still takes some effort. <laughs> and, and, you know, a, a conscious decision. And even though um, you may have developed a habit to show up somewhere on Sunday morning to reflect on the meaning of life or some such thing, um, that still comes from a series of choices that you've made to develop that habit. And so I want to take a look at this sutta and particularly how it builds to the point where those, the, the whole sentence is, they who live by following this path know victory wherever they go, and every place for them is safe. These are the, this is the highest, these are the highest blessings. And how do we get to that through all the choices we make such that for us, every place is safe? What does that mean? So it's certainly not because the world becomes safe, because that's never going to be safe. And, in, and being in this body isn't safe. It's falling apart as we speak. But how's it come that every place is safe? So let's take a look at it from the beginning. How many people know this sutta? Not everybody. And even if we've chanted it a lot, we might find some new things in here. So it starts with, and you're welcome to look, it's on page 46. Sorry, I didn't mention that. That's useful. <laughs> So it begins in a very, in a way that we commonly see in the suttas, thus have I heard of the Blessed One. So the story is, this is um, recited or recalled by Venerable Ananda at the time when, after the Buddha's death, when uh, some 500 or some large number of arahants got together, they wanted to um, make sure they all had the same understanding of what the Buddha taught. And so it starts with, thus have I heard. 
that the Blessed One was staying at Savati, so uh, up in the Jaintas Grove, at Anatapindika's Park. So this is the monastery where the Buddha spent um, 30-some rains retreats and uh, stayed there a, a lot. And during the night, this radiant deva, heavenly being, angel, however we want to think of it, it's a, a living being that's not so different from us, but um, living in a, in a heavenly realm with that kind of uh, non-physical, but maybe energetic body. And this being is so luminous that it lights up the whole forest, the whole grove of the monastery. Have you suspended disbelief or are you on board with all this? <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> For me, I have no trouble believing this, that this actually occurs. And, the, and so often all through the suttas, devas are talked about and the Buddha had interactions with them just the way he would have an interaction with a human being. And um, there's a, a, a great monk who's passed away now who lived in Thailand with Ajahn Mahabua and his name is Ajahn Panyawato. And once someone asked, for Dave is real, and he said, they're as real as you or I. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. So the Deva asks, Dave says, Devas are concerned for happiness and ever long for peace. And the same is true for humankind. What then are the highest blessings? So here we are, all living in samsara, devas too. Their world's not perfect either. They're also going to die, probably after a lot longer time than for human beings. But there's still this wish for peace, for safety. And what do we do? What do we do? What would be the best things? to have in your life, to have that kind of peace and happiness. And so the Buddha starts out with how we, to choosing who we spend time with. Avoid those of foolish ways. So what are the foolish ways? Not keeping the five precepts. It's a good place to start. Boy, I wish somebody had told me that a long time ago. <laughs> this saved me a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, so associating with people who have wisdom, who are making choices based on ethics, based on morality, based on kindness, compassion. Um, and able to um, talk about those, encourage others. And the Buddha often says, you know, 
you avoid killing living beings and you talk in favor of uh, killing living beings and you don't kill living beings. <laughs> These are the things that make it possible to actually live our values and share those values with others in a way that supports and encourages people to be better. So hanging out with people like that as much as we can. And of course, there's more conversation we can have around this because there are times when we intentionally are not doing that because we can help someone. We don't just say, oh, I'm only going to hang out with people who come to Peapot <laughs> or whatever. No, that's not how it works. But to really pay attention to what we're in contact with and what influence it has on us and what influence we might have on the people around us. And I would really encourage noticing whether or not when we think about these things, if the mind comes in to be critical or harsh and know that that isn't the best way to grow, develop, and be happy. So maybe finding ways to think about these things with a certain sense of generosity and compassion for ourselves and for others. And then he says, honoring those worthy of honor. So this is similar. It's like really noticing what and who deserves respect. Well, that's a loaded statement, <laughs> maybe. But I'm thinking back to when I was when I started coming to the monastery, especially down well in Thailand, but also down in California at Abayagiri. And I was just getting my feet wet. I was just kind of starting out. And it came from a well, I won't go into too much detail about what I came from, but it's a very strong Christian background, Protestant background, where you don't bow to anything, right? That's wrong. I wasn't rigidly set in that, but I still, it was the bowing was foreign to me. And I said to Ajahn Pasano, I would bow when I would be at the monastery, but I said, I don't do this at home. And he said, it's just paying respects to what's worthy of respect. And so that triggered an, uh, an investigation and like, what's worthy of respect? And who? Um, and so like, look at it, you know? And, and it, over time I saw that bowing to a monk or a nun or um, a statue. It's not about the person really or the lump of metal. It's about what they're doing, what they what they're um, what that brings up in the mind and what that brings into the world. And um, you know, like I respect this because of what it it requires of me and others who wear it. And it's, it's what comes up in the heart and also whether people are really living it. That's what really drew me to Buddhism. 
spending time in Thailand. I know I don't know if you know my my son became a monk, and that's what got me involved in this. And when I went to Thailand to visit him, he was already in robes, and I was learning. And I saw how the monks lived what they were what they were learning. They lived it. And that's what's worthy of respect. It's not perfection, but that wholehearted effort to really do good. So honoring those worthy of honor, what I was what I didn't quite completely say a minute ago is that what I realized is that bowing to someone or something is really for oneself. It's for what it brings up in our own heart. Um, receiving someone's bows has nothing to do with me or whoever that is. It's standing in that place, accepting that, giving that opportunity for reverence. Does that make sense? Yeah. So honoring what's worthy of honor elevates our own mind and our own heart and it's beautiful and living in places of suitable kinds so what would that be a place where you can have peace and quiet um, enough food clothing shelter medicine All of us are human beings. That means we've done good in the past. Already that's clear. So there are things that we're benefiting from, from our past actions. And all of us here, I have confidence, we probably have enough food. Um, if you don't, if you let people know, you would. I know you would. <laughs> And, um, and the other requisites. Um, all of, all of um, you know, the, the fruits of past good deeds are here supporting us. And guided by the rightful way, living according to the Dhamma. And, um, Having some work that's um, you know having some skills, developing our skills, whatever they are, being um, you know whatever learning we've gained and having certain discipline, you know, like actually you know follow through on what we say we're going to do, that kind of thing. And then it starts to talk about speech. Sorry, I got some allergy stuff going on. Pardon me. Um, speech that is true and pleasant to hear. So do you start to see how these are choices and based on a series of choices and developing certain patterns and developing certain abilities? 
I'm going to stop here and ask if you have any questions, comments, arguments <laughs> before we go on. Anybody out there in the cyber world have any questions? <laughs> Can you hear me all right? Okay, good. Okay, I'll go on. Oh, by the way, if you do have questions, you can just raise your cyber hand or wave wildly. Someone will notice. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Is it candle? Venerable, it's candle. Hi. Um, go ahead. I'm just asking, there's a whole lot of ways in the background. Whoever's hand is raised, please. Oh. oh, yeah. Okay, I may not be able to hear you yet. Just a second. Okay, now I think I can hear you. Please go ahead. Okay. It's Candle. Thank you. Hi, Candle. Um, hi. I'm just asking, there's a whole lot of noise in the background that sounds like banging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is, is there steam the, heat? Oh, it's, it's the steam heat. Okay, I thought about that. that. I was imagining a, a percussion <laughs> section. Yeah. I really added a little rap into the meditation. <laughs> right. Okay, good. I kind of guessed that could be it. I just wanted to check that nobody had their, um, you know, mute button turned off. Yeah, okay, or on. All right, thank you. It's great to see you. Yes, Mark? Uh, one question about developing skills and being able to create environments that uh, are conducive for the kind of lifestyle in that sutra is uh, there are so many times where the choices we have are limited choices. Or the choices we have are ones that we don't have a choice over. And uh, in many cases we do, but in many cases we don't. I kind of just wanted to not so much challenge, but just ask you to address the situations where you don't have access to education, for instance. You don't have access to training in a craft that you think you'd be good at uh, or have extra special skills for that or perhaps are forced to work at a young age to take care of family or parents that you need to leave house. That there's a lot of external environments that limit our, our choices that we have or our ability to choose the paths that are most optimal for happiness. Yeah, yeah. And I think, of course, we all have limitations. I mean, that's part of being a human being. There are, there are all these limiting factors. And I think about the situation, we, we could come up with a wide variety of situations where we can see that we usually have more choices than we think we have. Like in, the, in this moment, you have a lot of options of what to do. You can stay and sit there, you can get up and leave, you can do, you know, there's lots of things we could think about, right? 
and of course, what you're talking about, Mark, is important. It's like, what if, you know, we, we, you may know people who have been born and raised in situations where they, they don't have access to certain things and other people do. And so, but what does it come down to? First of all, what's really important and what it's talking about here, you know, developing skill, even if you don't have a formal education, you can develop all kinds of skills. You have to look at the situation you have and what's available. I like to look for examples of what people do in really restricted situations, like people in prison. There are opportunities to develop the mind. I, I used to correspond with a prisoner who really found the Dhamma and took off in meditation and has his little Dhamma meditation group in prison and he wants to become a monk. And, you know, I mean, even in that very restrictive situation, he has some choice about how he addresses it, holds it, looks at it, um, meets it. And, you know, I'm very impressed with some of the stories of the monks and nuns, the Tibetan monks and nuns who were imprisoned and tortured in Chinese prisons and how they were able, many of them, able to maintain a level of compassion and you're really developing a skill such that, you know, coming out, they have no PTSD. You know, it's, it's the, the development of the mind that happened even under those really severe conditions. So, you know, what's the objective? Um, when we talk about the Dhamma, the objective is freedom. Complete letting go of all our attachments and longing and ill will and, and you know, realizing the truth of the Dhamma. And, and, you know, a completely uneducated person, one monk said to me, you know, like a completely, you know, a person growing up in, in um, the backwater of Thailand, entirely uneducated, could, you know, just see a hair of his head in his hand and become awakened. You know, it's like, this is, this is possible, right? So, so I think the answer is, yeah, we have all different kinds of conditions. And if we bring our, our awareness to it, we might see more options than we thought. And it's not about um, like gaining something in the world. So I think that the gain in what we can understand about life is, is possible. Providing for mothers and fathers support, cherishing family, working in a way that's harmless, practicing generosity, living according to precepts, offering help to others for relatives and those around us, living a life that's blameless. This shows up in another sutta that I really love. I'm not going to get a chance to talk about it in detail, but if you want to look it up, it's in the numerical discourses 
in the Book of Nines, number five. And it's called Powers. At least that's the title Bhikkhu Bodhi gave it when he did the translation. And in there it talks about four powers and five things you never have to fear again. Since we're talking about every place being safe. And those five fears are the fear of a loss of livelihood, a fear of being timid in a, in a group or in an assembly, the fear of getting a bad reputation, the fear of death, and the fear of what might happen after death. Those are five nice fears to leave behind. And what are the powers? The power of wisdom, knowing what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. That's a very nice, simple definition of wisdom. You know what's right and what's wrong, what's good or what's bad, what's wholesome or not wholesome. And then the next power is the energy to do what's wholesome and to not do what's unwholesome. And then the third one is blamelessness, living a life that's blameless, which is going to happen if you've got those first two powers. But for that to be, like it says here, if, if we're living in a way that is blameless, we never have to worry about getting a bad reputation. Even if people accuse us of something, it's not true. It's going to go away. It's like when people would accuse the Buddha of things. So, oh, yeah, there's, there's nothing there to, you know. And then the fourth power is sustaining favorable relationships. That's a whole other conversation. But when we live in this way, it's just like with, this, with these blessings, when we live in this way, to the best of our ability, nothing's perfect. We don't have to be afraid. Every place is safe. Steadfast in restraint, shunning evil ways, avoiding intoxicants that dull the mind, being heedful, respectful, of humble ways, content with gratitude, Hearing the Dhamma frequently taught, being patient and willing to accept our faults. So this is, we're getting more and more into like these choices to engage in the Dhamma now. <laughs> Seeing venerated seekers of the truth and sharing often in the words of Dhamma, talking about the Dhamma, listening to the Dhamma, finding people that you respect, who teach the Dhamma, Ardent and committed to the holy life. Whoa, did y'all just become nuns and monks? <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> um, but our life can be pretty holy in the lay life, too. And um, it's up to us. You know, in the suttas, there are all kinds of stories of lay people gaining levels of enlightenment incredible meditation, incredible wisdom and knowledge. And, you know, that's, it's a wonderful thing 
um, to see how walking this path brings benefits all along the way. It's not like, oh, we, we just grind it out and work really hard, and then somewhere dead way down in the distance we see a result. It's like we see results all along the way. And you're probably further along than you think. And you never know when some big piece of the iceberg falls and you're <laughs> freer than you could have ever imagined before. And this is the way to set up the causes and conditions for that. Ardent and committed to walking the path, the holy life, seeing the noble truths for yourself and realizing Nirvana. And then the, the results, you're in the world, you got to do the stuff in the world, but it's not the same, right? You know, you know that um, we can add some goodness into this world and be generous in every moment and free from suffering. Um, the mind can be unshaken, etc. It's beautiful, I'll just read it out. Beyond all sorrow, spotless, secure. They who live by following this path, know victory wherever they go, and every place for them is safe. Did you get a sense of that? Did I answer that question? Me, what I heard coming up is, Freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. Yeah. Freedom from fear of, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Can you be free of that? Free of worrying about losing your livelihood? Free of worrying about losing your place to live? Free. I mean, if you have a, a sustainable relationships, good friends, they'll help you out. That was one thing I, I really had to ponder about that. How does that sustaining favorable relationships become one of the four top things to get rid of these fears? And I thought about the way I grew up. I was grew up on a farm in a farming community. And my parents were always helping other people. And other people would help us. You know, you, you have that feeling of it's hard this life and we got to take care of each other. And one, one uh, spring, one of our close neighbors got sick and my dad planted his crops. And then one year, my dad had a farming accident, got his foot in an auger, you know what an auger is, I think. And um, other farmers came in and finished the harvest on our farm. That's favorable relationships. <laughs> That's what you have the ability to create in a place like this. And um, even where I live now out in the mountains, um, people have that feeling of like, we got to take care of each other. You know, fire comes, you grab everybody and go, um, you know, as much as you can. And, you know, so how, first of all, it's important that we're able to be present with our fears, that we don't stuff them down, 
no, I'm not. I, I should be. I should be further along than this, <laughs> you know. Or by now, I shouldn't have that fear, whatever it is, right? Um, you know, we have to treat that the way we treat any kind of suffering and turn towards it. Let it be there. Put some compassion around it and notice what what it's about. You know, what am what am I really wanting? from the world that's not really the way the world is. You know? And then we have this chance to, to see where we, we can uh, enliven, restore, and encourage the Dhamma to grow in a way that that fear just dissolves. Maybe it's looking more closely at reality. You know, we are going to get sick. We are going to die. That's okay. How can we be okay with that? How can we know that if if someone were to, you know, kill us, it's not a problem for us. <laughs> they have a problem. We want to try to help them avoid that. <laughs> but but we're going to die anyway. You just come back if you're not finished. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, every place for them is safe. You do your best. And then, of course, it, sometimes we can think, well, am I doing my best? No. Am I doing enough? Am I practicing enough? And, I was talking with Ajahn Pasanu about that recently, and he said, well, if you ask that, the answer is always no. <laughs> See? <laughs> just don't go there, you know, just, just um, bring joy into your day, your life, your practice, compassion and kindness as much as you can. And if, and if the tank feels a little empty, reach out to friends and help each other do that. So that every place can be safe. So, is it okay if we go like an extra ten minutes? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? What do you? Um, any comments or questions? Yeah. Um, you you sort of um, address this a little bit. Um, by uh, emphasizing that the the um, the payoff is all along the path, and um, but it really what strikes me the most about this sutra is uh, the refrain "These are the highest blessings" is right from the beginning. So mm -hmm. um, when you first start with maybe avoiding foolish ways. Um, it doesn't say these bring the highest blessings. That's the the order you usually think of. <laughs> if you if you make the right choices and behave ethically, you will receive blessings. But this is a different approach. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying because it gives us a chance to see that just avoiding people of foolish ways is a huge blessing. I mean, the way it says it there, these are the highest blessings. I mean, that's a high blessing already. And it's kind of like um, the question, was it Mark? 
Marquette, you know, it's like, this doesn't mean that we're somehow at the pinnacle all the time of whatever it is. It's like we're in our daily life doing things in a way that makes things more wholesome, more easy, more loving, more wise. And that's a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing when you sit down with someone in your life and you're really present. You know, it's a blessing when you have the chance to interact with people who are wise and kind. So every one of those is a blessing. It's and and it's a blessing we we create in the sense that we put the seeds in the ground. Just like a plant, you can't make it grow. Other things have to be there. But if we keep putting seeds in the ground, things grow and those and we experience those good results. And maybe it strikes me too, just feeling the the possibility of choice, the agency to make choices is a blessing. Yes. Yeah, realizing that we have choices. And sometimes I've had this many times in my life where it looks like I'm being forced to do something. And it's really because I don't want the consequences of pushing back on it. Like there was a time when I was really being required in my job to do something I felt was unethical. And I really thought about it because I knew that if I said no, I could lose my job. And I just prepared myself for that and said no. And I didn't lose my job. It actually caused a, a lot of reflection and discussion in the company, but it might not have worked out that way. It would have been a challenge to look for a new job. I, had, I was a single mom with two kids. But still, that option was there and I took it, I could take it. And a lot of times we're afraid to look at the options that seem like, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't actually tell my father the truth about X, Y, Z, whatever, you know, or something. Some, whatever the thing is that looks impossible, but maybe is the best way. We just have to kind of bite the bullet. Oh, yes, Jean. You've got to unmute. There I go. Now, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for choosing this sutta. Um, one of my favorite lines is the one about waves of work that harm no being. And that one's dear to my heart because not only will you choose not to be, you know, a pest exterminator, <laughs> but um, I also choose not to eat meat because even though I don't kill it, my buying it makes someone else kill it. And I think that is a source of joy. Um, to not eat meat. And so I appreciate this sutta for bringing it front and center. And thank you.
Oh, you're welcome. You know, I, um, I've been a vegetarian for decades and um, I want to say that there are a lot of people I know who find um, a lot of joy in not, not eating meat. And there's also often a lot of confusion about what the first precept means. And it doesn't go that far. You know, the Buddha didn't go that far to say that we should be vegetarian. He said, um, don't kill. The Buddha was really interesting. He was so precise, absolutely truthful and factual. We can really trust him. And so he was talking about the karma of our actions. And the karma of eating meat, even though I totally get what you're saying, Jean, and I applaud it. The karma of eating meat is not the same as the karma of killing the animal. And you could tell that by your own feeling of if you had to go out and, and chop the chicken's head off, it would be a different feeling than you just buy that at the store or you could get it at the restaurant. And the Buddha said, it's different. You know, it's different. And one of the beautiful things about the Buddhist teachings is he covers everything. So he talked about how we should relate to food, you know, eating what's healthy, eating the right amount so that we don't cause new problems in our system. And so when it comes to vegetarianism, I want everybody to know this is not about how to you know, beat yourself up or feel guilty, but just ask yourself why, you know, uh, like I eat eggs and my body seems to need them. And other people may have other things that their body needs. But when we look at what am I doing just for pure enjoyment and who's suffering as a result? Um, that's a useful, that's a useful reflection. And I also, I also know um, there's a bhikkhuni who saw a video of a, a calf, calf being separated from a cow and a cow running after the, the truck, taking the calf away. And she was like, after that, no more dairy. And that gives her comfort and support. And it, and it does, it helps our planet. But I haven't stopped using dairy. And, you know, so like, take these things in, not from a place of I've got to be the best, the most perfect, but being mindful and careful and conscientious about our behaviors, doing the best we can. I think if you really take it to the nth degree, how can we do anything that isn't harmful? Work-wise or walk across the parking lot, you can step on living beings. So the Buddha was like, don't go there. You know, like, don't, don't make yourself crazy. You know, um, you know, don't worry about um, what you accidentally do. It's about your intention. It comes back to your intention. If your intention is like Jean's intention, you're going to find a lot of joy in using less meat, maybe in no meat. If your body feels like it's gonna, you know, like it's being depleted by leaving that out of your diet. Maybe you need to do some of that once in a while. But that kind of conscious care, 
the conscious care of picking up an insect and ushering it outside changes the heart. That's what we're after here, changing the heart. Candle? There we go. Um, I have a question about the area on caring of mother and father. When talking to others about this, um, I always run into quite a few young people, especially who have had very difficult relationships with their parents. And it's hard to figure out how to explain this. And I'm wondering what your thinking on it is for, for general understanding for others who've been abused and have had terrible upbringings, how to imagine caring for their mother and father. Thank you. It's great to see you. Yeah, here again, it's not like everybody's got the same situation. Um, you know, I have, I, I know people who are completely estranged from their parents. I know people who've had a hard time with their parents and they've done a lot of work to, to work through that. And then in the end, they're, they're taking care of them while they're dying. And, you know, and, and one person I know, he said, like, I'm here living here, taking care of my dad. And he thought, and he said, I never would have expected to be doing this. And one thing about being younger is your, your parents probably aren't already at the point where they really need that much support. So um, it's different when you get to that place. So the advice is whatever trouble we've got with anybody on this planet, let's try to resolve it. Think about trying to lay to rest and you don't have to do it with them. If it's been somebody, if it's somebody who's, you know, got those foolish ways and is really toxic, you can resolve it here in your heart. It doesn't have to be with them. But in, in, whenever it's possible, resolving it with the other person, sometimes it takes a lot of work and maybe some outside help. Um, but you don't want to go through your life with some kind of anger or resentment toward your parents or anybody. So one, one piece of advice is like really looking at that. Why would I not want to take care of them? Really looking at that. Not that you have to, but really, you know, freeing your own heart. And then, you know, as we develop on the path, different resources come in to ourselves and we may we may be doing that at some point like this person this man i was talking about you know it, it might happen there's a story of uh, a, a monk that was giving a series of lectures on um, taking care of parents and and uh, uh, filial pieties in the mahayana tradition and um this one person who was attending came up to him later and said, yeah, my daughter, she doesn't want to take care of me and she's not, you know, like doing things that, you know, and he said, well, you're not at that point yet. You don't really need it now. Wait, she doesn't need to be doing anything for you now. You're perfectly fine. Give it time. And, and, and so maybe that's another part of it, Kendall, where, you know, people hear this and, and they bristle because they still feel so much sting from the past. 
then maybe there's a way to encourage them to sort through that. My relationship with my mom wasn't easy, and I went through all kinds of, I did everything from past life regression to tons of therapy to all kinds of communication skills, and you know, it was all very beneficial for me. And I found out that all my efforts to try to change her, <laughs> it was a great lesson. <laughs> And then I had to realize, you know, she's been living this long and she's really actually fine. I have to change my expectations and see how I can understand her and uh, develop my own heart. And it Thank turned out so much. beautiful, actually, when I was there for her when she died. One last question or comment. Yes. I just wanted to thank you. The reflection during meditation, I had a grasping mind that was creating disappointments around not finding peacefulness. And well, I've been here before, wait a minute, my mind's busy, okay, my mind's busy. And then and just going with, I am where I am. And then as you read through, I had this incredible feeling of joy arise right before you stopped halfway through of, Yes, this is what is in this moment, every choice. And it was beautiful to be in that, that grasping and then, okay, I'm going to just wait and accept. And then to have that realization again, that it's, it's in the moment, it's every choice. And the promise is the thing itself. So thank you very much. Sadu, sadu, sadu. Yeah. All right, friends. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for your practice. It's always inspiring. Um, it's a joy to be here with Peepad and visit. And take good care of yourselves and your hearts and be happy. And safe everywhere. <laughs>